Welcome to the Valley View Podcast. My name is Caleb Chamberlain, and I'm the pastor here at Valley View Church. We are so grateful that you are joining our church family as we pursue the Lord's heart and His plan for all of us. It is our desire to grow, and we are excited that you get to join us in this adventure. So grab your Bible and prepare your heart to seek God's face and all that He has in store. My main point is that God actually wants you to experience His love. And I don't mean that like in a religious, like, yeah, I know that. I know that He loves me. I mean He actually wants to have you experience God's love by the Holy Spirit on the inside. Once a year, not just on Sundays, but as a consistent thing. And He wants to completely change your life with the experience of His love. And there's nothing inside of him that's holding back or saying, hey, it's selfish to do that. God is actually trying to convince us, me, 20 years in, he's trying to convince us how extravagant he is and how much he wants us to experience of him. And I love what Caleb just said about the ostrich thing. That when we experience him and when we stay connected to the experience of the love of God, it actually changes the way that we live and pro, uh, produce the fruitfulness that's in And I've found in my life that it's, I kind of forgetting your language, but the ostrich thing. If I get off track, it's like, wow, that's happening quite often. Like every couple months, I'm like, I'm a little bit bored. Uh, my, my character is a little bit lacking. My zeal for Jesus is a little bit lacking. What happened? Oh, I've gotten off track from that like deep relationship of intimacy with God, specifically as an experience, not just an idea. And so in this prayer in in Ephesians three, Paul is like pretty intense with his prayer. And so I want to get into this. Let's look at verse 19 for a second. I'm reading the New King James Version. So yours might be a little different. At the end of this prayer, Paul says, I want you to know I'm praying That you would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How many of you want to be filled with all the fullness of God? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to have an altar call at the end here. (laughs) Just joking. I'm one of the guys that doesn't raise his hands. So here's what I want to say at the beginning is that in this prayer... Whatever Paul says and prays in these verses, he ends with this. Hey guys, I'm praying all of this stuff for you so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, so that should get our attention. Okay, whatever verses are before this, I need to pay attention because this if we pray this and believe this and enter into this, it's going to lead to us being filled with all the fullness of God. Those are like three, uh, we got any English grammar people? I don't, there's probably language for this. You're filled with all the fullness. There's a lot there that he's saying. And what he's saying is, hey, if you want your destiny to come to pass in your life, if you want your emotions to be the fullness of what they're meant to be, if you want the spiritual gifts moving through you to the fullness, if you want your relationships to be filled with love both ways, If you want to be filled with the fruits of peace and joy and patience and long-suffering. Right? Some of us want that stuff. If you want that, this is the thing to pray for and enter into. 
And if we're not experiencing those things, or if it's slower, or if it's less than what we know is possible, it probably is because we're experiencing less of what Paul's about to pray here. Does that make sense? Okay. So what he's going to pray here. And for some of us, myself included, this prayer to know God's love doesn't always connect to walking in fullness. I want to walk in my fullness. Where's the next conference that I go to? Where's the next leadership training? Where's the next, you know, A, B, and C? Those are all awesome and needed. But Paul is going to be pretty clear. If you want to walk in the fullness of what's inside of you, if you want to walk in the fullness of your destiny, if you want to walk in the fullness of seeing people come to Jesus and discipled, if you want to walk in the fullness of healings and miracles, and if you want to be freed up from the heart issues that you struggle with right now, you know, because we all have something that we're overcoming, the way to overcome that is actually to experience the love of Jesus. Okay. Okay, let's go back up to verse 14. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, uh, it's six chapters long. The first, three, the, the first half of Ephesians is all about who you are in Christ Jesus. Right? You've read Ephesians before. It's Ephesians 1. You've been given everything. God is rich in mercy. He's raised you up with Christ Jesus. He's created you for wonderful works. He's made you one new man in Christ Jesus. He's put the mystery of his glory inside of you. And then at the end of verse uh, chapter 3, uh, just above these verses, it actually says that God is going to, he's going to manifest his wisdom to the principalities and powers in the realm of the spirit through you. Okay, so half of Ephesians, Paul is saying, here's who you are. Here's who you are. Here's who you are. Here's what God has done for you. This is what God is like. It's like a three chapters long of a pep talk. Vision casting. And then he shifts gears in the second half and he goes, take everything that I said and now apply it to your relationships. Take everything that I just said about who you are in Christ and let it change your marriage. Let it change the way that you parent or the way that you're a kid. Let it change the way that you are at the workplace. Okay? And so we're getting, this prayer is the very end of Paul's pep talk, so to speak. Hope I'm saying that. I'm sure Paul's listening. (laughs) And so here's my reason for saying that is because in verse 14, um, actually verse 13. Sorry, no, it is verse 14. So he's got this three chapter long pep talk. And then verse 14, he goes, for this reason. Because of these three chapters of amazing things about who you are in Christ Jesus, because of these amazing realities of what he's done for you, for this reason, I'm bowing my knees to the Father to ask for something. And so Paul, at the end of his pep talk, is saying, the way that we manifest all of those three chapters of promises about who we are in Christ Jesus is we get before the Father and we ask for the things that Paul gets into. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of Jesus, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And here he gets into the prayer. He says, first, I am praying that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Okay, now there's a mouthful there. I'm going to explain some of this stuff right away. He says, I'm praying that God would grant you. According to the riches of his glory. 
Everyone say, riches of His glory. glory. Okay, right away, Paul's point is, is that the Father in heaven is rich. When we bow our knees or bow our hearts before God, Paul wants us to know that God is not poor. He's not stingy. He's not hesitant. Right? He's not a, and this sounds offensive, I actually am in this class. He's not a low-income, middle-aged father who's disconnected and got like a couple bucks in his pocket And like, we don't have to come to a poor father and say, hey, dad, I need some gas money. Like, do you have that available? And do you even want to give that to me? Right? Paul is saying we're coming to a father who is rich in glory. Meaning he's got everything at his disposal. And when Paul prays this, he goes, I know who God is. I know how much glory and presence he has. And I know that he wants to give it to me. When we come before God and we begin to pray this, we have to know who He is. He's the Father of glory, and He's smiling, He's good, He's kind, He's loving. He's fully towards us in goodness and passion. We have to know that. We have to know that He's rich in glory. We can all ask in this room, and billions of believers, well, you know, whatever, a billion in the earth, can ask the Father, God, would you move upon me? And the Father says, absolutely. I have riches of glory at my disposal. I want to do that, and I can do that. The last thing we have to believe is that God actually wants to do that. And that's where I think some of the the gap is, is that uh, we believe God is there. We believe He has something to give. But many times in our hearts, there's a gap that says, I know He's there, but does He want to give me that much experience of His love for me and of His affection for me? And there can be a gap there. And what I found in my own life and in just being around people of prayer for 20 years is that sometimes uh, the temptation is that if we experience the love of God a little bit or maybe more in the past, but it's not a present reality, is that we have this religious idea in our brains that we know the love of God as an idea, but it's not an experience anymore or it's not an experience that often. But because we we think we know the love of God as an idea, right? Like if I ask my kids, do you know that God loves you? Oh, totally, Dad. I know He loves me. Have you like ever experienced the love of Jesus? You know, like maybe once or twice in a way where they're like, wow, like something is moving inside of me and God's interacting with me. But they would say that they know that God loves them, right? When we use the word know, we typically mean... Hey, I know about that idea. But in God's vocabulary, in His dictionary, knowing is actually an internal experience. Right? In the New Testament, many times when it talks about uh, knowing God or even like the knowledge of Jesus, what it's actually saying there is an intimate experience with something about Jesus, not just an idea. And so God's vocabulary is much different. In the Old Testament... uh, Husbands and wives, specifically, they would know each other, and then they would, they would have kids, if you can kind of see. What knowing means is there's an intimate exchange there, and God wants to like continually bring the church into the place of knowing Him at the heart level. So He says here, 
I'm praying to the Father of glory who has the riches of glory. God has everything. And here's what Paul begins to get into. This prayer is so cool. He says, I'm praying that God would strengthen you with might in your inner man by the Holy Spirit. So what in the world is he talking about? He's saying, I'm asking God that he would strengthen you with might on, on the inside or in your inner man, or if you're a woman, in your inner woman. I'm praying that he would do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now just pause for a second. When Paul is praying for you to be strengthened or for me to be strengthened, he's not saying, God, help Caleb get through another hard day. <laughs> no. God, give me strength to get through this situation. That's not what he's praying right here. And I'll, I'll give my reasons why. He is asking that the Holy Spirit would come into your heart as a believer. I'll get into that in a second. He is praying, Holy Spirit, would you go? I'm going to use Caleb most times here. Go into Caleb's heart. And would you build a house on the inside that's mighty and it's glorious and it's strong? And would you make his heart larger And then would you put like rods of steel from the Holy Spirit on the inside? And what Paul is saying is, God, would you make a strong dwelling place inside of Caleb's heart? Because what he gets into next, he says, would you strengthen him with the Spirit? In verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Raise your hand if you've given your life to Jesus at some point. Okay. Okay. this is always just fun to say, but for some of you, might it might be helpful. When you give your life to Jesus, God actually comes and he, he lives inside of your spirit man, not in your heart. Just to be a little technical right there. He technically comes into your spirit, right? Now, why that's helpful for me is because uh, I, need three, I need three ladies. Can you ladies just stand up right here? At my church, we have a big whiteboard. I can't do that here. Okay. All right, just for a picture here. Thank you. Okay, so we've got spirit. So this is our spirit. And this is like who we are at the core of our being. This is our heart or our soul. And then this is our physical body. So everybody in this room, everybody in this room, and each one of them is beautiful. Thank you. So every single one of us in this room, we have three parts to us. We have a spirit. And this is where God dwells the moment we get saved, okay? In 1 Corinthians 3 and then in 1 Corinthians 6, it says that we've been married or joined to God. And so the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of our spirit. It's awesome. That's where we're married to God and joined to Him. But then we have a heart or a soul. And that's where we as humans, we kind of live in our soul place. That's where we think. That's where we feel. That's where we make choices, And that's a good thing, but it's also a hard thing, right? Sometimes our emotions, they're hard. And our choices, sometimes we don't do what we want, what we think we should do. So that's that. And then we have our bodies. Anybody have funny bodies? They do things you don't want them to do? Okay. So many times in the Bible, it's called the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is happening in the heart or the soul, or it's happening in your body. Sometimes I lust after food. And it's actually my body is like craving something. And I'm like, okay, uh, I want to eat, but I don't want to be like, I don't want to be pulled away by desires of my body. And sometimes our heart can lust. We can lust in anger. We can lust in jealousy. We can uh, be broken as far as thinking that we're rejected or, or whatever with other people. 
But in our spirit, that's where God is dwelling. What happens is God wants to actually move into our heart and move into our body in a progressive way. You can sit down. Okay, so we kind of talked about that for a minute. You guys still following me? Okay. So he's praying that God would, God would strengthen, you know, the second part of us. He would strengthen our hearts. Or in my version, it's called the inner man. That, that soul or the heart, God is saying, hey, I'm in the spirit. I'm in their spirit, man. But I want to build a house in their emotions and in their thoughts and in their choice, the place where you make choices. I want that to be strengthened with might. And I want to build a house there that's large and strong so that in verse 17, Jesus can come and dwell there. He's praying this to believers. Jesus, Jesus doesn't dwell in our hearts automatically. That's something that grows as we grow in relationship with him. Um, but it's actually something that not only should we want that, it's actually something that Jesus wants. How many in, in this room, you want to experience the love of God? Okay, we all agree on that, obviously. Did you know something that God actually wants to experience your love? God actually wants to experience you. God, we want you. Come and fill us with your presence. You know, all the songs that we sing, that we, we should sing them. We do sing them. And God is up in heaven saying the same thing to us. I want to be with you where you are. I want to be one with you. I want to experience you. God, even though he's God, does not have everything inside of us. That is something that he's given us the nobility to give back to him in free love. And so in verse 17, uh, Paul is saying, oh man, I'm praying that God would strengthen Caleb's heart, his emotions, and that he would make this house on the inside of Caleb's heart so that Jesus could grow into that place of his emotions and of his thoughts. For two reasons, so that Caleb gets energized by, by union with Jesus in that place of his emotions and his thoughts. But, but there's also another person involved. Jesus goes, hey, I actually want to dwell in Caleb's heart. I actually want union and experience with Caleb's emotions. Do you remember what the first commandment is? <clears throat> yeah, you love God with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, that's the first and the greatest commandment from the mouth of God, from the mouth of Jesus. And what's what's happening is that Jesus is saying, I'm making it the first and the greatest commandment because I actually want all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. No husband in this room would get married to a wife and then say, hey, you know what? If you want to be half hearted in love with me, I'm totally fine with that. No wife would get married and say, hey, you know what? You can be a little bit distant for decades and we can be a little bit disconnected emotionally. I'm totally fine with that. None of us would say that in this room. And if you are saying that, then you need to talk to someone about growing in your marriage. Because um, that actually is a reality thing. Jesus, as a husband, and then God as a father, they're seriously, like in this moment, thinking about each one of us in this room, thinking about the kids, and they're going... 
I just want more of that person. I just want union. I just want present tense this Sunday experience with their emotions and with their thoughts. But God, you made me. You know my thoughts even before I think them. It's a different thing for God to know in his sovereignty, in his all-knowing. That's one way for God to know us. But there's another place where he actually knows us by experience. My point is that Jesus wants to dwell in your heart. Jesus wants to dwell in your heart. And he wants your heart to experience him. And he wants to experience you. He made you for himself. And he's not okay with anything less than fullness. And so just imagine him as this passionate, smiling, uh, aggressive in a good way husband. Who is like, I want to get in more. I want to get in more. I want to get in more. Can I talk about another Bible verse or will I throw you off? Okay. Revelation 3. This chapter can be scary, but it's actually good. Revelation 3. Jesus comes to a church and he says some bad words to them um, that sometimes we run away from. It's uh, the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm congregation. Jesus comes and says, you're blind, you're naked, you're poor, you're wretched. You know, Jesus says those things. Um, But what I love is that he comes to that church because they are lukewarm. And he's not coming to be mean. He's coming because he wants something. Jesus doesn't just come and rebuke us to rebuke us. Jesus comes to challenge us because he himself wants more of us. Right? He's not just a father who pops into the room when we do something wrong. And then he rebukes us and corrects us. And then he goes back to the den and watches TV or the garage. He doesn't do that. Jesus only comes to correct us. And he says it later in Revelation 3. I'm coming to rebuke you and I rebuke everybody that I love. Jesus challenges us because he actually wants to be more inside of us. And so Jesus comes to the lukewarm church and says, I just want more of you. I'm not okay with the lukewarmness. I'm not okay with it. And I'm not just coming to be mean. I actually want more of you. You're you're wretched and blind and miserable as far as your heart condition goes. But I'm in love with you and I'm pursuing you. And I want you. And I believe that you will respond to me. That's why I'm coming. And it says that Jesus comes and he goes, I'm knocking on the door of your hearts. And if anybody hears my voice in this correction, would you open the door? Because I actually want to come in and I want to dine with you. So his sovereignty isn't enough. His sovereignty isn't enough for him. He actually wants to come in inside of us even more. And he wants to dine with us and fellowship with us and be with us. Psalm 139 is just something that has moved my life. Psalm 139 is like one of the most famous psalms, if not the most famous psalm. And it starts off with saying that God is searching us. And he knows our sitting down. He knows our rising up. And if you have bad knees or bad back, he knows that. Jesus knows that little pain right there. Um, I'm just having some fun there. He knows it. But it says that he's searching us. We have to ask the question, why does the all-knowing God have to search out a human being? 
Why does the all-knowing God have to search out a human being? He's not bored. He knows everything about us. He's the one that made you in your mom's womb. He knows you better than you do. In his all-knowingness, he does not know you in the present tense relationship way. That's what he's wanting. He's wanting that to grow. And so in verse 17, Paul says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Jesus wants to be in you. And it's actually a place of Christian maturity where God actually begins to dwell in a greater way in our emotions and in our thoughts and in our, our will, the place where we make decisions. God wants greater union and friendship on the inside with us, but it's also our portion to have that. Okay, the next part of verse 17. He says, oh, this is so awesome. He says that you would be rooted and grounded in love. What do other versions say? That, that you have. Mine says rooted and grounded in love. Yes. Mine says rooted and established in love. Good. Mm. Rooted and established. <clears throat> Any other versions that say something? Have fun words? Okay. So let's go with the, the first one. Rooted. Or I don't know how they say it in South Dakota or, or Ohio, but rooted, rooted. Um, what you know? What do roots do? They go down deep into the ground, and what? But what are they looking for? They're looking for water, nutrients. And what does the water and the nutrients do for the actual plant? Makes it grow. Okay. So now that that picture is connecting us to John fifteen, just the ideas where Jesus says, um, <clears throat> as individuals, you are just a branch. Caleb's just a branch on the ground. And he's got to connect into an actual plant or, you know, the vine. And so Jesus in John 15, it's the abiding, abide, abide, abide. In John 15, Jesus is telling Caleb, he's saying, hey, you're just a branch on the ground. You have no ability to get water or nutrition into your branch and into your leaves. That's not even like your makeup. What you need to do is get your branch connected to a tree or a vine. And when you do that, you begin to tap into the source of water and uh, nutrition that that tree or that plant is getting, right? Because it's got the root system. And so what's happening here is that Paul is saying, I want you to be rooted in the love of Jesus. So imagine, you know, your feet. If you were a plant... Your feet go into the ground and then roots are going into the ground beneath you. Jesus wants those roots to be looking for the experience of the love of Jesus. I, Paul is saying, I want you as a plant, a tender plant. I want you to have a root system that's looking for the love of Jesus as an experience. And when you do that, you're going to suck up the nutrition from the love of Jesus on the inside. Practically speaking, it means reading your Bible, singing it back to Jesus, and letting Him touch you with His felt presence, and letting Him touch your emotions with His love in real moments in time. And when that happens in small ways, but then the sometimes where it's like the weeping or the laughing times, when it happens to those different levels of experiencing the love of Jesus in real moments in time, 
that acts as water and nutrition to us on the inside. And we come out of those five minutes. Oh, that was good. I felt the love of Jesus like a little bit. And sometimes, uh, sometimes it's more intense. There's tears or there's weeping when you're, when the love of Jesus is touching you in a real way. And what God is saying and Paul is saying is that those are actually experiences to be pursued and not even in a casual way. I want you to direct your entire Christian life towards experiencing the love of Jesus. And as you do that, your roots will go a little deeper and they will get the life of God from those experiences. And that will begin to transform you on the inside and then you're going to overflow. I I really believe this. um, And I don't like travel at all or whatever. But I would say that in America, at least, that the American church, I bet it, uh, the majority is my guess. The majority of Christians don't have any roots at all into the love of Jesus. And if they do, it's really shallow. Okay? That's kind of my guess um, from my, my polls that I take. Um, and so what happens is I think that a lot of the church is frustrated and gets burnt out over time is because uh, the Bible tells us to go and do good things. And the Bible tells us to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, grow in patience, grow in joy and love. I'm trying to go get people saved. I'm trying to. <laughs> and then disciple them. And then be amazing in your family. Okay, but I'm not. Well, you should be, but I'm not. But I'm not. And I think that we have the Bible and leaders telling us to like produce fruit without ever actually teaching us how and where and when to get the root system. Amen. What if you planted a, a... Who's got gardens in this room? Amen. What if you planted stuff in your garden, and then the next day you said, you better be bearing tomatoes like tomorrow. I'm expecting cucumbers. I'm expecting whatever. Yeah. We wouldn't do that. We'd say, no, I'm going to like plant you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put fertilizer. And my main priority is getting your root system going, And if the roots are good, then the plant is going to grow accordingly. I really believe this, and I'm kind of not being joking now, but is that we are trying to get the church to produce tons of fruit. And we expect it of ourselves and of others. And there's Bible verses that back that up. But what we don't always know is that the Bible says first, cultivate the root system. And then when there's an overflow, the fruit is going to come. The fruit is going to come. And so if you've been frustrated at different parts of your life, maybe it's internal, uh, maybe you've been lacking like in character in some way, maybe you're lacking in your, uh, your connection to God. Maybe if you uh, never see people come to Jesus through your life, or you don't see like the gifts of the Spirit happening, or things like that, or maybe the Bible's not alive to you, and, but you know that those things should be happening. I think, I think the practical answer is you've got to get a root system that's deeper in the love of Jesus. You've got to get a root system that's deeper in the experience of the love of Jesus. And when your emotions uh, more often begin to experience and connect to God's emotions for you, it totally is a game changer. Totally is a game changer. I've seen it for 20 years in my life and other people's lives. But I think that, that the, the Satan wants to mix up like our strategy as believers. And Satan actually is pushing that agenda of like perform, produce, you know, all these different things. 
But at the same time, he says, but don't spend that much time with God. Like, go produce more fruit. You're so selfish. You're so lazy. Go produce fruit. Go minister to all those people, which we, we, that is a fruit. Go grow in righteousness. Get out of that addiction. But don't spend time with God. Or if you do, not that much. <laughs> or if you do, he doesn't want you to experience anything. He tries to get us confused. And then we're like, I'm trying to bear fruit here. And he's trying to like confuse us on both ends. God wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. I'll just say this with verse 17. What it means to be rooted and grounded in love is that your emotions would be connected to his emotions and then they would overflow. That our thoughts, and I don't mean, I don't want to paint something that's like too far out there. It's a, it's a growing thing, and sometimes we, we feel like we take steps back. But he wants our thoughts and emotions to be renewed or restored or transformed little by little as we're connecting to his thoughts and his emotions to us. And that's when transformation begins to happen, and that's when acceleration happens. He wants us to be rooted and grounded. Uh, when we make choices, you know, uh, when there are... Um, impulses or urges or desires in us for things that are sinful or just kind of like, it's not, you know, like for me, there has been a pattern of like running to food for things. And there are like urges in me to eat food. And it's not like when I'm hungry, it's when I'm bored or it's when I'm anxious or when I'm fearful. Uh, my fridge is like a really good friend to me at those times. Um, and I, I, that's not always, but that is like, it's a pattern that I've come in and out of. Um, some of you probably relate to me on that. And so there are other things, like it can be immorality that we go to when we're fearful, anxious, or whatever. It can be anger, it can be something else. What to be rooted and grounded in love means that our choices are beginning to be influenced by the experiences that we have with God in the love of Jesus. Okay, John 15, John 15, um, 15, 9 for sure, but it's just the verses around there. He says, I want you to abide in the vine, and if you do that, then you're going to bear fruit, right? We all get that. But, but later in John 15, he doesn't say abide in the vine. He says, abide in my love. Right? So he's not stingy and he's not mean. He goes, no, I'm actually like commanding you and giving you some leadership principles here that I want you to live inside of the experience of my love. And I'm, I'm going to keep saying experience because I want to get us out of just knowing ideas. Oh, I'm abiding in the love of Jesus. Well, like what makes you say that? Well, I know, I know it. Like I read a good devotional about it. I got Jeff's book. <laughs> I wrote my own book, like whatever. We have to get out of like the idea only place, even though that's where we start. Everything starts as ideas that we're like contemplating and then it goes deeper inside of us, right? But we have to stop for ourselves. And I'm saying this to you guys, and I know there's so much maturity in here. I'm saying that to myself consistently is that I, I don't always want to assume that I know the love of Jesus and that I'm abiding in the love of Jesus I always want to ask God for more, 
And I always want to ask him for a fresh perspective. God, I, I actually don't think I am abiding in the love of God. Right? Because abiding is like the picture of the branch, like connecting to it. And Jesus says, I want you to abide in the love of God. That's, that's my leadership principle to you, is to abide in the experience. And the way that we respond to that is we give God uh, our best time every day. We give him uh, enough time for him to move on our hearts and for him to display his love to us as we read the Bible, as we worship, as we talk to him. And that's, that's the most practical thing that we can do is we turn things off. We get a rhythm of spending time with God every single day, not in any kind of earning way. It's so that we can abide and connect to him and begin to experience tenderizing and experience his love more often. And that's the only way that we're going to grow in this prayer is that we spend time with him every day. And I joke with people, but I'm also serious, is that 15 minutes a day probably isn't enough. Um, And if you're at the 15 minutes a day thing, there's like no shame or anything. But, But to stay there would mean that you're probably bored and not wanting to spend more time with God. If we're to be honest with each other, if I'm spending five minutes a day or every couple of days with God, it probably means I'm just bored and I'm like, you know, I'm looking for the next thing that day. And so there's a choice that we have to make where we just dive in and say, you know what, God, I'm bored with you. I'm 20 years into a prayer life and I still say that to God. God, I'm bored with you. Um, I haven't felt this bored recently, but I am right now. And I need your help. I don't like want to do this every day. I like pray that sometimes. I don't, I'm consistently bored with you, God. I need your help. And I need to like re-sign up for just spending quality time with him um, every day until he begins to tenderize me and awaken something on the inside. Uh, Verse 18. Paul says, I'm praying that you would be rooted and grounded and that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. This is hilarious to me. Paul says, I want you to comprehend the love of Jesus. But at the same time, he says, it's the love of Jesus that passes knowledge. (laughs) Okay, what he's saying here, he's saying, okay, the love of Jesus is too far for your little brain to understand by reading books. Your little brain cannot, like, understand the love of Jesus. Your brain isn't smart enough. It's so beyond that. And what he's saying is, I want you to comprehend as the Holy Spirit teaches your brain and teaches your emotions about the love of Jesus. There's a supernatural knowing of the love of Jesus. And Paul says, I'm praying that you'd have supernatural comprehension, that there would be an understanding here and here through the ministry of Holy Spirit, and that he would take from that realm that's beyond knowledge, beyond what you can search out by yourself, and that the Holy Spirit would actually bring it down and touch you with it. That's what he's saying. I'm praying that you would comprehend the love of Jesus. Paul would say this, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of your hearts to see, to hear, to perceive the emotions and the affections of Jesus for 10 minutes tomorrow. For 15 minutes in your thoughts. For 30 minutes in your emotions. That's what Paul is praying. 
Holy Spirit, would you get them? Holy Spirit, would you move upon them? In uh, 1 Corinthians 2, it says that God's given us his spirit and that the spirit, follow me on this for a second. 1 Corinthians 2, it says that the spirit actually searches out God and then he reveals God to us. It's a two-way street. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, is that something? <laughs> yeah. So the Spirit searches God out. This is a whole other topic. But then he reveals that to us. But in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, hey, you're too carnal. You're too fleshly to even receive from the Holy Spirit. So there is a place of being a Christian and we're like blinded or like there's a wall between us and Holy Spirit from him ministering a supernatural experience to us. But Paul is praying, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, would you touch them? Would you touch their minds? Would you touch their emotions with the love of God? And he says this, would you let them with all the saints? There's something about being in community with one another that leads us into the place of, of understanding God's love. Verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18. He says, I'm praying that you would know the love of Jesus. But I love these, um, I don't know if they're adjectives or what they are, but the width, the length, the height, the depth. And I don't think Paul is being poetic here. He probably was like really smart and poetic, but I think he's actually talking from the place of being soft and tender. And he's saying, oh God, God actually does have heights of his love. And God actually does have depths of his love and he has wits and he has lengths. And I just imagine Paul praying like this and saying, God, and he's just picturing the infinite heart of Jesus and saying, God, I'm asking you for the infinite lengths of your love. I'm asking for the infinite depths of your love. Do you know that God has infinite emotions for you in this room that right now he's thinking about you. He's really feeling things for you. We're sitting down here going, I know you're there. I feel you sometimes, but it's mostly like crickets are going off, right? Kind of like the awkward silence of like, well, that's okay. Everyone else feels God's presence all the time, probably. <laughs> but he's, he's really there and God is feeling like massive emotions for you and his thoughts, like your name is literally going through his mind and he's literally being consumed in the most godly, perfect way possible because God himself is love. Like he's defined by love and he's so overwhelmed and consumed with you and his thoughts. I mean, like literally your name is running through his mind right now and your storyline in this week and next week is going through his mind and his heart is actually feeling things. And sometimes God even weeps and cries and laughs. We know that because Jesus did that, and Jesus actually is God. So there is an intensity there that God has. And Paul is saying, oh man, I don't know if these names are in this room, but Michael, Stephen, Angela, do you know that God has heights of love for you? Do you know that God has depths and lengths and widths of love for you? It's the love of God that is so great. It's so infinite that you can't comprehend it by yourself. And that it's an ocean. No matter who you are in this room, all that you've done is you put your toe into the ocean of God's love. That's all that you've done so far. Mary, you've been putting your toe into the love of Jesus and you've been doing it for decades. It's, it's an ocean that you can't see the end of. 
It's the Pacific Ocean. And Mary Yanger, for decades, she's only put her toe into the love of Jesus. And that's not a correction. I'm just saying that's perspective-wise, that's what's going on. Me for 20 years. My pinky toe is maybe like touching the waves a little bit. That's where it's at. And Paul is saying, oh man, there's a Pacific Ocean of experience. One of my teachers said this, if we experience God in the way that Paul did, we would live the life that Paul did. Paul is not exaggerating. Paul was on shipwrecks. He was beaten like three times. He was imprisoned. He said, sometimes I have food. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have the money. Sometimes I don't. And there were churches that were turning on him and rejecting him. And he had injuries to him. Sometimes he was beat so much they thought he was dead. And so they left. And there's a life that Paul lived because he was connecting and rooting and grounding into the love of Jesus. And his priority system, I think, was so different than the American church that he's living a life that we look at and go, that's impossible. Like he had to have been exaggerating. And Paul would just say, I just lived different. I like radically prioritized knowing the love of Jesus. And that was my pursuit. And then all of my sacrifices flowed out of experiencing the love of Jesus. And all of my breakthroughs. Do you know that Paul had addictions? Right? Paul had addictions. Probably not to like methamphetamines, but like he was connected in deep ways. Paul actually killed Christians. There was probably a stronghold of anger that was inside of him. There was probably a lot of religious Uh, perspectives he had to come out of, right? Paul got transformed by the love of Jesus and then he became our teacher because he experienced this. And so Paul is not exaggerating. He's saying there are widths and lengths and depths. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is in each one of you and and in me. And he is loving this prayer. He goes, oh my goodness, would you just pray that again? The Holy Spirit wants to show you the lengths and the depths of God's love for you. And there's no limit to what he's going to give to you. He's not stingy. He's not poor. He's not disconnected. God has no favorites in this room. Every one of us are his favorites. And if you say these words to him and say, God, I want to know the lengths and the depths of your love for me. And if something comes in your heart and says, I don't deserve that. Absolutely a demon. Absolutely a demon that wants to just distort your perspective of God. Why aren't you good enough? Did the blood of Jesus not wash you good enough? Did he not do a good enough job in making you with his own hands? And so we come and we say, God, I want to know the lengths and the depths and the wits. And the Holy Spirit smiles and says, absolutely. Absolutely. Would you stay here for like five more hours and just say that? And then would you be okay if I just wrecked you and had you weeping and on the floor and maybe even a little joy and laughter and peace? Would that be okay? Yes. He goes, that's what I'm like. And then the Holy Spirit would say, would you come back the next day and I'll do it again? And would you come back the next day and I'll do it again? God is like, I'm here. I just, I'm knocking on the door. Would somebody open the door for me? Well, Jesus is selfish. I'm trying to like do stuff for you. He's like, don't do stuff for me. Come and spend time with me, and then we'll do something together. Some of you are frustrated in this room. Some of you have a low vision for what you can't experience or what God has for you. 
And I want to just take a wrecking ball to that wall or that lie and just say, God is never withholding anything. And in Revelation 22, there's a river of life that comes from God's presence. And God says, anybody that is thirsty and has desire, you can come and drink. Do I got to pay money? No, it's actually free. Anybody who's thirsty, broken, hungry, and has desire for the life that flows from me, you can come free of charge and you can drink as much as you want. No, he's not saying that. No, as much as you want. As much as you want, as often as you want, and it's free. Isaiah 55, you know, this is a fun one to preach. It starts with H-O. How do you pronounce that? Ho! That's what's happening in Isaiah 55. Ho! I'm not like theatrical, so I can't like give it gumption. Everybody who is hungry, come and buy. Anyone who doesn't have food or drink or money, you can come and have this. And it's free. God is abundantly uh, excited to give you everything and there's no hindrance in him. He's going, hey, I'm actually commanding you to get inside my love and I'm never commanding you to get out of my love. Okay, verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. This is my point and I'm kind of wrapping things up here. Um, Is that we can know the love of Christ that passes knowledge only by the work of the Holy Spirit It's not something we can make happen. It's as we grow in friendship with God's Spirit that He reveals things to us. And that simply means reading the Bible and saying the Bible back to God or singing it back to God in our alone times with Him or in our group times with Him. And as we do that consistently, the Holy Spirit will begin to move upon us and we will have actual experiences with God as a person. I've shared this here, maybe even last year. Um, But my first experience with God was in college. Man, I've been telling my kids, like, don't wait till you're 20 to try to, to, like, go after God. I was, like, 20, and I had never experienced God. Grew up in an awesome family, awesome parents. Uh, My dad's a full-time pastor at at this point. And I just, like, got desperate uh, because I I needed help. And I found a Bible that someone gave to me. And for a month, I spent one to two hours a day reading the Bible, and I had no idea what I was doing. Like, didn't know where to start, didn't know how to talk to him, didn't know what hearing God's voice meant. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like really depressed and I'm tormented in my thoughts. I need help here. And so I spent one or two hours. And I'm not saying that to impress anybody. I'm just putting that out there because it wasn't 15 minutes 15 minutes is like, you know, when you're running a marathon and someone puts one drop of water on your lips, you'd be mad at that person. No, give me like five bottles of water. When we come to God with five, 10, 15 minutes a day, not that we're earning anything. It's like we're getting one drop of water of his presence and saying, hey, I don't have much time. I got to go. And I'm going to pray in the car and all those things, which is awesome. But we all need focused alone time with God that's not in a car It's not exercising, and it's not while we're working. That is the overflow of the alone times with God. Um, And you can totally disagree with me on that, but I just believe that after 20 years. All of us in this room need alone time. I call it quality time with God. God doesn't want your only time with Him to be when you're driving, running, working out, and working. And and I understand schedules, and I totally understand like having small kids. 
Um, Because I have three and we have a fourth on the way. So when sleep isn't happening as much, you get desperate for sleep. Um, I'm kind of saying that to Michelle because she has a really young baby. But I do want to be like really clear just because I I love you guys and I want to be clear to all of us is that it's that quality focused time with him um, that is the place where this begins to happen in our lives. And when we, when we move away from the quality times with him each day that are long enough for the interaction to happen, that's when life changes. And I, I'm so convinced of that by experience and through the Bible. Um, I've never met anybody in 20 years that has a prayer life on the run. I, met, I meet lots of people that say that, but their life totally convinces me that it's not actually working. Totally convinces me that their prayer life is very shallow. Um, and so I say that just because we want to experience God and it happens as we spend that quality time with him. And for our culture, that means living differently. That means evaluating how much can I work each week is 50, 60, 70 hours a week of working. Is that biblical? Is that healthy? Um, is spending tons of time in the garage, tons, tons of time with hobbies or sports or helping people like is that really possible? And, and I meet people like this that are working a ton and then their prayer life is zero or minimal. And I'd say, hey, like, like switch it. Go talk to your boss and make a life change where you can get time. Can I tell a story quick? I just have no clue what time it is. So um, I remember, uh, I'm not trying to make a sappy story, but my mom passed away three years ago. And, and I was at the, the funeral service and so all of my cousins are there, right? I haven't, uh, uh, I remember talking to a family and friends that were all there. And um, there was someone that came up to me and just told me how hard life has been going. Panic attacks to the point of fainting, um, even at like the workplace. Marriage, not doing good at all. No dates and just like not, a lot of patterns are consistently there for years. And then no time with God, like zero. And so I was like, you know what? I actually said this. You know, I want to say something to you because my mom just died and I'm, I'm not going to live with regret. You need like one or two hours a day with God. You need to talk to your boss to work less or get a different job. And then you need to spend time with your wife. You have four kids and they have sports every night. You need to change that. Young families with kids in sports can consume your life. And the Lord is saying, hey, what if you didn't do all that stuff? Like, you know, some of your kids are raised. You know what that's like. Um, And I just said, you're having panic attacks to the point of fainting. And your marriage is bad. And you're not doing good. And right now you're living life for your job. Right? And I said, what if you just like made massive changes and you looked weird to your family and friends? But your heart became alive your marriage became alive. And then in the next five years, you probably bear a ton more fruit than what you're doing right now. And you're probably a lot happier, right? So I don't know if some of you need to hear that or if that's, you need to be bolstered to say that to someone else. Um, But in the process of writing this book, it's like, you know what? There's no earning God's love and his presence, but practically speaking, quality time with God and quality time with people is absolutely necessary to know them better. I'm never going on dates with my wife via text message on the drive home from work. You know, you go out to dinner, you have a fire, like 
You spend time with them. And I don't go on dates with my wife with my kids. Because they, they're like pulling our attention away. There's nothing like going out to coffee with a friend or a spouse and having focused time that's so refreshing when you don't have all the other things to do. And so I just want to say that. All right. And then I said this already, that as we experience the love of God and get rooted and grounded, that begins to fill us with all the fullness of God. And that's when life happens. That's when we experience, that's when our emotions open up. And I might, I might be talking to guys mostly. If you have closed down emotions or if you don't feel emotions that often, that actually is a sign of lack. And God wants to awaken our emotions as men and women. He wants to awaken them as he touches us with his love. And there's other avenues of fullness. Okay, now to end it, verse 20. Let's read this together. Well, I'll read it, but you just look at whatever you're looking at. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, think, Okay, there's not imagine in there. Above all that we ask or think. This is supposed to give us courage. If any of you in this room have been going, man, that sounds impossible. We got any honest people in here? To be rooted and grounded in the experience of God's love for you and to be filled with his fullness. That's a lofty vision. Is that possible for my life, God? Paul would say this. He prays it and then he goes, I know the doubts. He goes, God, you're able to do exceedingly, like over the top, abundantly and above anything that we could ask or think. I thought it said imagine in there, but it doesn't. There we go. So Paul goes, you can ask this and God can do it. And he can even do more than what you ask. God, I'm asking to know the lengths of your love, a little bit of the depths. And God goes, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I can do it. I want to do it. This is my priority system. And I want to fill you with the life of God. And Jesus is just saying to us through Paul's you know, prayer here, would you open the door to me? He, God's knocking through this verse. And he's saying, would you open the door? Would you let me come into your heart and dine with you, and fellowship with you, and friendship, have friendship with you, would you open the door to your prayer room at home? And would you spend more time in there with me? Would you come and dine with me? I just feel like God is highlighting that at the end here. Is like He just wants to say, hey, I'm just wanting more of you. It's not about striving. It's not about earning. And I'm not trying to communicate that. God's not angry. He is just there at the door of each one of our hearts and saying, He's smiling, going, I just want more of you. I just like you so much. I like your voice. I like the way that you love me. Um, I love the way that you sing to me. I love the way that you want to obey me. It doesn't always happen, but you want to. Or I just love you, and I know that you're, you're weak. Maybe, maybe your heart is kind of half-hearted, and God's like, I just want to be with you. God, I'm so weak and broken. I don't even like the Bible. Yeah, but I can help you. I can do that, and I want to do that. I did not like the Bible when I was 20. I just read it, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I didn't actually finish my story, did I? I read the Bible for a month, for an hour or two, and towards the end of that month, I read one Bible verse, 
And God, like, it was like God was talking to me face to face. The Bible verse just like spoke to my heart. And I just was like, just bawling for a while, like 30 minutes or something, just crying. And then there was like this peace on me. And I got done with that experience with God. And I was like, what was that? Like, what was that? And I I knew that God had spoken to me through the Bible, but it was like a present tense experience with God. And I go, that was really awesome. And I was literally depressed and tormented for a month before that, sleeping as much as I could because my mind was tormented, losing a bunch of weight. Everything in me was just scattered and broken. So confused about life. And in that one moment, I'm not exaggerating, in that one moment, it's like I came back from the dead. Seriously. And I know that that some of you would relate to that in that intensity. But I would say that even in small ways where it's like, wow, that 15 minutes with you, God, was like, that's refreshing and healing. And that's what God wants to do. And it set me on a course. I wrote it in my Bible in that season. I said, it's the first day of my new life. Uh, February 25th, 2003. It's the first day of my new life. That's how much it impacted me. And I remember going to my, my college classmates for class and stuff. And they were like, hey, visibly your face is different. Visibly you're different. And like, it's like you came back from the dead. And so Jesus wants to do that for us. So let's just stand and end. I'm going to pray and then we'll be done officially. But if you want to be prayed over, you can come up at, after that. Let's just open up our hands. Jesus, we know that you're knocking on the door of our hearts. And we know that you want us to abide in your love. And God, some of us in this room, myself included, are a little bit bored in our times with you. But you you can help us and you want to. And you want us to experience you and you want to experience us. So... God, for those of us who are feeling bored in our times with you, and just to to spend time with you is like a labor. It's like so hard just to make that choice. Would you come and touch us right now? Jesus, we just say no to any work of the enemy that is blinding us from your beauty and your glory. God, and I pray for others that there's, there's sincere love for you, but there's hunger for more. God, we ask you that you would just mark their hearts with desire and that you would show us the heights and the depths of your love. Unapologetically, God, that you would show them the heights and the depths of your love. Zeal for God would consume them. John 2, Jesus said, zeal for my father's house. Zeal for intimacy with God consumed you, Jesus. Would you consume us with zeal? And God, I ask you for every practical decision that we need to make in this room to connect to you more, God, to give you more time and attention. We just open up our hearts, God, and we say, hey, talk to us about it. Talk to us about what we do with our time and our schedules and our attention, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.